Hi everyone, I'm Monica Toriello and you're listening to the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the consumer and retail industry. Hello, or maybe I should say hola this time, since on this episode we'll be talking about research that McKinsey did in Latin America. Specifically, we'll be talking about research on Generation Z, which has been called the first generation of true digital natives. Well, who are Gen Z? They're today's teenagers and people in their early 20s, and they're widely forecast to soon become the largest age group globally. The characteristics and preferences of Gen Z are of broad interest to the business world, and indeed, one of the most viewed articles on McKinsey.com over the past two years, with more than 1.5 million views, is an article titled True Gen, Generation Z, and Its Implications for Companies. And the two authors of that article are here with us today. So let's meet them. First, we have Tracy Francis, a senior partner based in the Sao Paulo office. Tracy is a native Australian, but has lived in Brazil since 2004. And she leads our consumer packaged goods and retail practices in Central and South America. Welcome, Tracy. Hello. Thank you. Also with us is Fernanda Hofel, a partner also based in Sao Paulo. Fernanda has worked with many leading retailers and consumer products manufacturers, and she leads McKinsey's consumer insights work across Latin America. Thanks for joining us today, Fernanda. Very nice being here. Hello. So first, let's talk about Gen Z, and then later on, we'll talk about the broader Latin American consumer market. So Gen Z in Brazil currently makes up about 20% of the population, and many people, myself included, have members of Gen Z living with them in their households. So maybe start by explaining the label, true gen. You say that Generation Z is searching for truth. What does that mean? Unpack that for us a little bit. So um, the, the thing behind, you know, truth for this generation is that these are people that do not like to define themselves according to any labels, right? So therefore, it's more important for them uh, to connect to the essence of what they are and to the essence of what they see in things as opposed to, to any labels, which might be a characteristic a stronger, for example, uh, among millennials, right? So when we talk about uh, true gen, I think it's about not defining oneself. Uh, it's also about, uh, about a, a, a strong sense of community that this generation has. And they are very okay with connecting to different communities depending on their interests and depending on the causes that these different communities have. Uh, and it's also about dialogue. It's not about, you know, uh, fighting or about uh, putting your point of view in a in a fashion that does not invite uh, dialogue it's the opposite so it's a lot it's a lot about truth and perhaps to compliment um, they expect truth from others as well they're quite tolerant right so they as Fernanda mentioned they're very different to millennials um, and so they are comfortable with errors and will forgive errors but they do expect for others be that uh, companies or individuals to show the same authenticity that they seek for themselves. So one of the characteristics that you point out about Gen Z is that they're less idealistic than millennials, right? More realistic, uh, more pragmatic, and that's in large part because they grew up during a time of global economic stress. You know, in Brazil, the biggest economic downturn in the country's history, and then along comes COVID-19. And obviously, your research predated the pandemic, but how do you think the pandemic has affected or changed Gen Z, if at all? 
Yeah. So, Monica, that's a really interesting question, and let me actually take both parts of the question. Um, so, when we when we think about Gen Z and why they have this, you know, pragmatic mindset. Um, in Latin America, we had a series of crises during the period of time that Gen Z was growing up. In the rest of the world, you know, the global financial crisis was also a huge deal. Um, and so they were very much impacted by this notion of a need for security. Um, one of the interesting things in, in our research showed that, you know, these teenagers, one of the things they most desired was a job that's a proper registered and formal job which if you think about that from the standpoint of being a teenager is, is quite extraordinary, right? You know, if you were to compare that to millennials, uh, millennials are in Occupy Wall Street and are destructing the system. Whereas Gen Z was saying, I, I really want to be part of that system um, and change it from the inside as opposed to, you know, totally disrupt and, and, and break it down and start from scratch. Um, I think as regards the pandemic, um, my sense is that that will have um, intensified that feeling, I think we've seen even greater levels of disruption, instability, and that type of thing. And actually one of the interesting things that our research shows during the pandemic, it's some of those mindsets that um, characterize Gen Z have expanded into the broader population, right? And we, we could imagine that perhaps that's because people are more together, uh, but it's also you know, driven just by this, this fundamental sense of you know, insecurity in the form of economic, in the form of health, in the form of societal insecurities. Yeah. And the one thing that that we also observed right among uh, consumers and Gen Z is that this is a, this is a generation that is very used to analyzing uh, lots of information. Right. They were born. They are the true digital natives and they were born with uh, already in a digital environment. So their ability their ability and their need to analyze a lot of information in order to take decisions is very big and different than other generations, right? So that, that makes them more analytical and therefore more realistic as well. Yeah, and another characteristic or another attribute that that the pandemic might make stronger is that is this attitude towards consumption that you point out about Gen Z, right? You say that for Gen Z, consumption is about access rather than ownership. And that shows in, you know, in things even pre-pandemic like like ride sharing and handbag rental and those kinds of business models. Uh, and one of the implications for consumer goods companies and retailers is that they should, and I quote from your article, they should consider creating platforms of products, services, and experiences that aggregate or connect customers around brands. What are some examples of that and what companies have done this successfully and what can you envision other companies doing in the future? Yeah, I think Nike was really, you know, innovative when it introduced its uh, sports platform, right? And I think that that was many years ago. And now we see, you know, a lot more companies doing it with Nike was very innovative. Um, I would also mention Mars, right? Mars Pet Care. Uh, I mean, they went from selling or from focusing on selling uh, food or f feed for, for pets, right? And they are now uh, doing this whole ecosystem for pets in which they track information of the pets. They provide services for the pets and for their owners. And of course, you know, feeding is, is at the center of that as well, but it's going way beyond that. Another good example is Natura and Company, which is a uh, Brazilian uh, cosmetics company that actually has made a series of acquisitions of product companies around the world, product companies and retailers, the Body Shop, Avon, Aesop, um, who have recently um, started to expand into services. So they bought a, a company here called Singu, 
which offers which offers a series of um, beauty services provided by you know by manicurists provided by uh, that type of a service professional. Um, and they also have recently started offering financial services uh, to those who are part of of their family, right? So you start to see it, these ecosystems uh, becoming much more commonplace, even within uh, consumer goods and retail. So I want to ask you a question that you yourselves asked in your article, and it's about Gen Z's inclusivity, right? So your article says that Gen Z is radically inclusive, and you asked... How long will clothing collections grouped by gender continue to make sense? Any thoughts on that question? So I think this is really interesting. Um, I was actually doing some shopping for one of my kids the other day um, and was on a site where, where there was boys, girls and unisex, right? Which I think is already going in that direction. If we think about Gen Z, right, what they want is to be a segment of one as opposed to a member of a tribe. Right. So as Fernanda mentioned earlier, very different to millennials. Right. They, they want to uh, be who they are in any given moment of time. And that identity is fluid. Right. Um, so I think it's possible that we are going to see this kind of, you know, uh, collections that cater to everyone in any given moment. So it's not that we're going to go 100 percent to unisex because a Gen Z person today might want to be wearing clothes that, you know, can't be identified. Right. They're having a Billie Eilish moment today. But then, you know, next week may want to actually dress like a, you know, like a princess. Um, And so I think what we're going to see is just a much broader offering um, in fashion. Yeah, I agree. And and companies that cater to these younger audiences, of course, will have to move faster than, you know, companies or brands that cater to different audiences, right? Right. And speaking of brands, let's talk a little bit about big brands. Right, because global research from McKinsey and others suggests that Gen Zers are much more likely to believe that newer, smaller brands are usually better or more innovative. And they're also much more likely to avoid buying products from big food companies. And in your own research, you found that majority of Gen Zers believe that big brands are less ethical than small ones. And ethics is very important to Gen Z. As you say, their consumption is anchored on ethics. So what can big brands do to appeal to Gen Z? And what are the most important steps for big brands to take today to win with a Gen Z consumer? I would say the most important one is about, uh, you know, being authentic and really connecting with consumers in a way that does not seem to be, you know, artificial. So consumers and Gen Z, they are very sensitive to the fact that, you know, whatever a brand is, is, is saying, right, should be what is happening inside the company. That's number one, right? They want full transparency and they want congruency. So that's very important. Whatever the brand is communicating outwards needs to be the reality of this brand inside the company. That's point number one. And just to, Faye, just to sorry to interrupt you, but to compliment Fernanda's point number one, and they know what's happening inside because everyone has a smartphone. That's the big difference. Right. So given that it is entirely knowable what is happening inside a company and whether that's congruent with what's being communicated outside, this authenticity that Fernanda mentioned is absolutely critical. Yeah. And we even heard right talking to consumers, we heard them saying, oh, you know, company X, they just announced this diversity committee, which is great. Right. But we look them up and when we see their top team, there is no diversity there. These are young people 
taking on their hands, right? Analyzing the information and having a critical point of view about it. So this is what Generation Z does, right? So this thing about authenticity is very important. And then I would say really connecting, right? Coupling uh, authenticity with really connecting to consumers. I think, uh, you know, larger brands, uh, they have this legacy, right? They are more used to a way of doing marketing that is more mass oriented by definition, right? That's what marketing used to be. Uh, but now, of course, you know, marketing is changing uh, radically, right? And it's becoming increasingly more uh, personalized. Big brands, sometimes they have more of a gap to bridge in that regards, uh, differently from smaller brands, for example. Yeah. And Monica, just to come back to your point around kind of ethics and sustainability, one of the things that we see during this time, obviously, is the, the dramatic acceleration um, of all consumers' desire to see this um, sustainability and ethical focus. Now, of course, you know, the, the jury's out on how long that will last, but the reality is this is one of those values that has been um, dramatically augmented in the minds of all consumers, and Gen Z was kind of at the forefront of that. Um, and so I think that what we observed in our research was an observation of a point in time and that many large businesses are, you know, tending in the direction that we were suggesting, right? Not all of them, obviously, but attending in that direction. And one of the things that's actually really wonderful about Gen Z, because they're not, you know, in favor of breaking down the whole world, actually a very patient and tolerant audience. And so signaling where you're going being congruent about actually going there, asking for forgiveness when you know you inevitably get it wrong, um, is a is an approach that works with this base of consumers. You know, one um, example um, here locally um, is Umbevi, which is the you know South American um, part of ABI, right? The the beer company, and we've seen some really interesting things um, in in their movements. Right. You know, starting with almost um, what could be construed as a type of apology um, where, you know, they did this campaign where they had local artists design, redesign what beer posters of former decades would look like today. Um, and so very much focused on this sort of, you know, women's empowerment um, and recasting a bit the communication style of old. Right. That's just one example. They're doing a whole host of things. Um, but it's in this notion of, OK, we need to both outside and inside be coherent. If we if we want to attract new women, you know, women to to beer um, as a category, then we better actually talk to them about issues that matter. And we better also um, recognize what we did in the past. A lot of the things that you've been talking about resonate with me. They, they remind me of, of my kids. But obviously, your research was done in Brazil. Talk a little bit about the attributes that you think are unique to Brazil or Latin America versus what you see as the most important similarities in Gen Zers around the world. I never discussed this with Tracy, actually, but I think uh, the more and more we, we deep dive on this uh, research and we see, you know, new research that is being done around the world, because the Brazilian one was done a, a, a little bit ago, the more we see that, you, you know, what unites Gen Z are uh, what is what is the same 
uh, among them in different parts of the world versus what's different. And that's very interesting. Even in Brazil, right, the first thing that came to, uh, that popped uh, when we did the survey, we were looking for regional differences, right? Brazil is a continental country. It's very big. And usually when we do consumer surveys in Brazil, we need to do, you know, at least three cuts because the, the country is so different, so big. And what we saw in Brazil was already what I told you that, you know, this, this Gen Z was more about, you know, things that unite them versus things that set them apart in different parts of Brazil. And I'm very convinced that this is true also for, for other parts of the world. We did, we did replicate some of the research um, in Argentina and found, you know, huge commonalities there. Um, and when we kind of compare it to the research that McKinsey's also done in the United States, what we see, you know, of course, the United States is a much more sophisticated consumer market. Um, but the underlying mindsets are very, very similar. And one of the things that, I mean, Fernanda and I were really surprised that this article was so widely read um, around the world. And it's because it was one of the first pieces of research that thought about the mindsets of this generation um, and that those messages actually turn out to be very, uh, very, very um, broadly held. Indeed. Let's spend the last few minutes of this podcast moving a bit beyond Gen Z and talking more broadly about the Latin American consumer. So these past few months, you've been working alongside leaders of consumer goods and retail companies. What would you say are their biggest concerns at this time? Say the two to three most top of mind issues for them right now. Here, as in many other parts of the world, the question of digitalization and how to take what's been achieved over the last few months, you know, here is no different. There's been um, in a couple of weeks, a couple of years of development, uh, but how to take that and actually um, embed it and give it the structural substance that um, is required for it to be sustainable. Um, I think that's one area. I think the second area, and obviously it depends a little bit by subsector, uh, but is, you know, uh, will the consumer come back? If the consumer has already come back, in what form will they come back? Um, and how lasting are the questions that we've, that the changes that we've seen in behavior over the course of the last few months? So things like, you know, people leaving large centers and moving to interior cities. Things like people demanding sustainability and ethics, will that be a lasting trend? Things like trading down, you know, from a, a mid-tier brand to a, a much cheaper brand. Things like switching channel, right? Will those, uh, will those movements be sustainable or not? And how can companies organize themselves to one, uh, be able to monitor what's sustainable and what's not and be able to act very quickly? Um, and secondly, um, how to capture some of those trends? Um, I think the third thing is kind of people, right? Um, people are exhausted. Uh, you know, everyone's been running a million miles an hour for, you know, six months or nine months, or I, I, I honestly have lost track and I have tried to lose track. <laughs> um, and, and CEOs and top executives are looking at their workforce and seeing this. So, you know, they want to look after people's safety um, and make sure they're organized. At the same time, there's a bit of a bifurcation between companies who are going to try to stay work at home for a long period of time, those who are trying to bring the workforce back. How do you do that when some of the schools aren't back yet and some Paulo schools are not back yet? Um, and so how do you do that without penalizing mothers? Right, All of these you know, quite thorny HR issues, I would say, are also absolutely top of mind. You've mentioned digitization, speed and agility, talent, HR issues. That is certainly a lot to think about. 
So if you could gather the entire population of Latin American consumer goods and retail CEOs in one room and you had to give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Authentic leadership of your people and of your company right now is critical to, um, you know, continue to have engagement in the people who work with you and to create a secure and stable environment, right? That's sort of one answer. And the second answer, honestly, is digital, digital, digital. <laughs> and they are obviously answers at totally different registers. Um, and I think they're, they're both super important. Yeah, my thought was that is that, you know, and this is something that COVID certainly accelerated, right? People were, you know, well before COVID, people were saying, oh, the world is changing, right? I think what COVID accelerated or what COVID made clear is that the world has changed and companies need to shift very quickly to this change, right? It's not anymore about what's your plan for, you know, two years from now when things are really changed. The world has transformed already. So a sense of urgency, I would say, uh, very big as well. Right. And speaking of the world changing, you know, one of the things that McKinsey has been doing is these is these pulse surveys, right? The consumer sentiment surveys where uh, we find out how consumers are feeling. Is there anything in the Latin American surveys that you feel were surprising or counterintuitive or particularly revealing and that companies should pay particular attention to? One thing that stroke us here, uh, we've been doing consumer surveys for you know a very long time here, and Brazilians are usually very optimistic. This is something that almost defines us as I would say a population, right? And in this crisis, we saw Brazil as one of the most concerned nations among the nations that we surveyed. And that was very surprising. And I think, of course, you know, this is something, this is deeply related to the nature of this crisis. This is a crisis that is not only economic as the ones that we had previously. It's a crisis that touches on, you know, what we are, uh, on our safety, on the safety of those that we love. And that has made, you know, Brazilians a lot less optimistic. And what we observed as a, as a consequence of that is that this, uh, this lack of optimism translated into a lot more realism and a lot more planning among consumer uh, among Brazilian consumers. So I would expect, you know, going forward, uh, for consumption to be more analyzed among Brazilians, for in particular for spending levels to be uh, to be questioned or at least a lot more analyzed. That's the most important topic that uh, that I've seen being different. Would you agree, Tracy? So I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, and I think the other thing that I have found most uh, interesting. Um, along this period of time is, you know, when all of this started, right, um, you had a series of countries who are highly, you know, digital, China, for example, right? And you have a series of countries where penetration um, of online shopping, for example, or online use of services is actually really low, of which Brazil was one. Um, and then what's happened with that group of countries um, has very much depended on the consumer experience. And I think in Brazil, we believed that there are a whole series of things that um, prevented people from buying online. So relating to trust in the retailer, relating to the logistics, which are incredibly complicated in Brazil, online payments, will people ever do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what we've essentially seen during this period of time is people are up for it, right? And so consumer experience has been extremely positive um, in our surveys, right? People are just loving it. Um, and I think that's something very exciting, creates a host of opportunity 
um, for companies and also um, a lot of competitive activity across sectors that we previously didn't see so much in Brazil. Fernanda, your comment about optimism uh, struck me, but what have you seen recently in the business world in Latin America that gives you optimism and that makes you feel like things are going to be fine and companies are going to innovate and businesses are going to roar back? Anything that you think is a note of optimism in this very uncertain time? I think many things, actually, you know. So starting with the role that uh, many companies are now taking on society, right? I mean, this was a period in which we all had to step up individually and collective, co collectively. And I think many companies, and, I, you know, I, I, can, can, I can think of many examples, companies doing amazing things for the society and for those that are around them and taking on a bigger role. I think a very good example, right, is Alpargatas. Alpargatas is a Brazilian company. They have more than 100 years uh, old. They are more than 100 years old, right, have been, uh, they have iconic brands such as Havaianas, the flip-flop brands, right? And at the onset of the crisis, of course, the first thing that they, they thought about was, you know, the safety of their employees and the safety of their consumers. But soon after that, they started producing masks, they started gearing, you know, a substantial part of their production to help in the society. They are also very connected to sustainability initiatives, and they are taking on this broader uh, role that I uh, that I told you about. Let's end on that optimistic note. Thank you, Fernanda and Tracy for joining us today. And to our listeners, thanks for sticking around. Hope everyone stays healthy and safe. Until next time, this is Monica Toriello. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast. A transcript of this conversation will be posted on McKinsey.com soon. To suggest ideas for future episodes, please email us at consumer underscore podcast at McKinsey.com. To stay connected with us, subscribe to our email updates on McKinsey.com. Thanks again for listening.